The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Call it an earnings rally. Stocks coming off their best days since March and looking to keep the party going this morning. Futures, they are popping. A big green light for Moderna. The FDA clearing the way for the country's second COVID-19 booster shot. Falling back to Earth, trouble for Richard Branson and his plan to get tourists to space as early as next year. Busted at Boeing, a former employee at the center of the 737 MAX scandal, indicted for his role in deceiving government watchdogs. And Bitcoin booming, crypto climbing to its highest level in six months, as it reportedly is set to clear a key regulatory hurdle. Bitcoin 60K. On this Friday, October 15th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy Friday, and it kind of is looking like a happy Friday with the everything rally looking to roll on again today. Dow popping 500 points on Thursday, the best day since July. You had solid numbers at a Bank of America, Walgreens Boots Alliance, and United Health. That all helping the index. But it wasn't just earnings. It was buying across all kinds of markets. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, each up 1.7%. And unless we see something big change today, all indexes are on track to end their week higher. Like we said, It is the everything rally. Oil staying on the rise. Brent crude above 85 bucks a barrel. Crude oil here above 81. And in cryptos, it's not there right now, but it was earlier tonight. Bitcoin breaking above 60,000 bucks at its highest level since all the way back on April. What a round trip that has been. 60K down to below 30 and now back to just under 59,000. Really, I mean, if you're a crypto investor, you got to take some Pepsi or whatever it is, because that is a volatile market. Well, it is the same thing and the same market around the world, with buyers coming into Asian stocks as well. Investors cheering news out of Taiwan Semiconductor. Its CEO confirming reports of a joint chip factory with Japan's Sony. That sent shares of Taiwan Semi up nearly 5%. Sony getting a nice pop. Up nearly 3%. All the major averages are in the green. And yep, the everything rally. And we mean it. Europe is higher as well. All the major markets there are in the green as well. Interest rates, they tick back down. Germany, the UK, and France, not up a lot. Two to three tenths, but whatever. They are higher. The loan holdout, what is that, Norway? Yeah, look at that Norway up there. What are you doing, Norway? Get it in the action. All right. In the meantime, we've moved back around the other side of the globe because there is a developing story out of China right now. With Evergrande Group's attempt to sell its Hong Kong headquarters 
for about $1.7 billion has reportedly failed. Reuters says that a Chinese state-owned property company has pulled out of the proposed deal amid worries about Evergrande's serious financial situation. The embattled property developer has more than $300 billion in total liabilities, $88.5 billion in debt, has been trying to sell off assets to pay creditors, and as we told you a couple of weeks ago, that debt payment that was missed on September 23rd has a 30-day window to be paid. As far as we know, it has not been paid yet. So as we let you know two weeks ago, circle October 23rd on your market calendar, because that is the day that the Evergrande Group's debt payment on a huge chunk of debt will be due. They missed the first one, 30-day reprieve. We'll see what happens on October 23rd. That will be a day that we need to pay attention to. We're going to circle it here in the markets. All right. More on the markets and your money in moments. But right now, let us help you wake up with some of the other key headlines that you need to know about on this Friday morning, including a bit of a setback for Sir Richard Branson. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Silvana, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Happy Friday. Johnson & Johnson is putting its liabilities for tens of thousands of claims linking its talc-based products to cancer into bankruptcy. The company says the new subsidiary has filed for Chapter 11 to, quote, resolve all claims related to cosmetic talc in a manner that is equitable to all parties, including any current and future claimants. J&J is expecting to field lawsuits over its talc products for decades to come. Shares of Virgin Galactic are sinking in the pre-market. This after the company says it's delaying the start of its commercial space tourism service to the fourth quarter of 2022 as it looks to reorganize its test flight schedule. Instead of test flights, the Richard Branson-backed company will this month begin work refurbishing and improving its spacecraft and carrier aircraft, a process a Virgin Galactic spokesperson told CNBC is expected to last eight to ten months. And United Wholesale Mortgage, which went public through a SPAC back in January and began piloting crypto payments back in August, says it has decided not to move forward with accepting crypto as payments. According to the second largest mortgage lender in the country, the hurdles of incremental costs and regulatory uncertainty were just too great to overcome. Brian, back to you. Bad news for some crypto folks. I mean, if you bought Bitcoin at 50 cents... And now it's at 60 grand. I mean, you could pay off your mortgage with like Tremendous. four Bitcoin. Exactly. How would that feel? You know, three bucks or whatever. I, I mean, know. I know. That would be the trade of the, <laughs> trade of the century. Yeah, yeah. Savannah, we'll see you in a few minutes for trending. Thank Sounds you. Sounds good. All right. Now let's get back to the markets and your money. And outside of crypto, good old-fashioned stocks looking to add to yesterday's gains. Earnings, it's early, but they've been pretty solid so far, particularly with some of the banks, although... Much of that does seem to be coming from releases from their reserves, but but don't tell anybody. Let's tie it all now together. Joining us is CNBC contributor and Pivotal Advisors CEO, Tiffany McGee. Tiffany, welcome. Thanks for getting up early. I don't want to rain on the, the headlines of the bank parade, but I mean, and I know they move markets, but when I look at the, the big bank numbers, I see a lot of reserve releases, not much loan growth out there. I mean, were the numbers really as kind of good as the headlines seem to make them be? Well, you're absolutely right, Brian. Um, so remember, like the big banks set aside about $6 billion, um, for in, in a loan reserves. And so you're absolutely right. 
uh, they did release a lot of that because the consumer is strong, right? And so there, but there are a number of things. It's not just that, right? There are a number of things that actually did do well. In terms of loan growth, it's definitely mixed, right? So when you look at uh, JP Morgan, loans were up a 5% year over year. City loan growth was flat. But then when you look at B of A and Wells, they had declines year over year, right? So, but that's not really what I'm excited about. Um, you know, I like, and I think I've definitely been on the show talk, and, and talked about this before. I really like diversified income from my banks. And so for me, I own JP Morgan. I own Goldman Sachs. And when you look at, and a lot of times, you know, the, the, the trading revenue from those, from those banks uh, does really well. And so that's what we saw too. Trading was up, but uh, really also the um, investment banking arms as well, right? So when you look at, you know, M&A activity, equity financing, right? We've yeah. had record-breaking IPO activity in the past six months, right? But, um, you know, M&A is huge. You see, uh, you know, the CEO of, of Morgan Stanley coming on and saying that, um, um, you know, M&A is on fire right now. So that was really also driving, driving revenues too. And then the consumer is clearly strong. Yeah. Um, they're paying off their debts. Well, money is cheap or even free. The bankers just sitting around on Zoom with nothing to do. And so they're going to do what bankers do. And that is <laughs> make deals. But I appreciate you throwing that point out. The core business of these banks didn't appear to be that great. It was a lot of those reserve requirements. But if you're talking about another type of banking, investment banking, which it sounds like you are, you think we should look Mm -hmm. at at more pure play investment banks, names we don't talk about much. The Houlihan Lokis, the Paul J, well, PJT, Paul J. Taubman's, a former 30 year Morgan Stanley lead banker now with his own firm. Absolutely. And, and those are like the smaller independent banks, smaller in comparison to like a JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs that are, um, th- that are doing really well. And they're really focused on M&A activity. Uh, and when you look at a company like uh, Houlihan Loki, definitely focused on M&A, finance restructuring, um, you know, and really strategic consulting for, for some of these other companies. Uh, and they also acquired a, a, a GCA group for about $595 million, uh, just a, a, a little while ago. And so that's, been re- that's done really, really well for them. PJT Partners is another one. Um, these stocks are doing really, really well. And I feel like they're really under the radar because everyone's focused on the big banks. And I own both of those, by yeah, the way. These are sort of the boot. The, the, the boutique banks as boutique. well that raise capital from around the world, they, they are pure play investment mm-hmm. bankers. Uh, because, again, you, you point out, yeah. you go into the numbers, Citigroup's net interest margin on its credit card business is like 5%. Yes. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's time it to was. shift from some of the giant mm-hmm. banks to the mid-sized banks. Well, I think in terms of, I don't think it's a shift, right? So I'm not coming out of J.P. Morgan and I'm not coming out of Goldman Sachs. I definitely like those. But when you look at financials, right, cyclicals clearly do well um, in, in, our, in our current environment and also do well, uh, particularly financials in a rising rate environment. So, why, so while, you know, uh, the Fed isn't raising rates right now, uh, after it starts, to, after it finishes tapering, we are going to be talking about, um, rate, uh, about uh, interest rate increases. And so, um, financial services companies do yeah. really, really well there because they're able to have expanded margins. Um, so it's not just transitioning out of, it's adding to with these uh, smaller independent banks. Well said. And we are watching HLI and PJT. Must be nice to have a stock ticker that is your initials. Paul J. Taubman. <laughs> Someday we'll have that. Right. <laughs> Although I'm not sure anybody would buy BS. They might. Tiffany, who knows? I would buy that. Have a I great would definitely day. buy that. I'd buy it. I, I, yeah. <laughs> You too. You're the Thanks, one. Thanks, Brian. You're the one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have a great day and a great Bye. weekend, Tiffany. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Bye. BTS, Easy. by the way. 
All right, when we come back, will those Christmas gifts be there when you need them to be on store shelves? We've got real-time data into the supply chain of some of the world's biggest retailers. Plus, federal regulators set to give the green light to a new crypto ETF. Wow, Bitcoin on the rise on that. And later, a big boost, literally, from Moderna. And maybe it's shareholders. But do we really need a booster shot for Moderna? We'll talk more about it with Dr. Carlos Del Rio. Very busy hour still ahead in Worldwide Exchange Returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. The global supply chain stretched to the max, and it is forcing some of the world's biggest retailers, names like Costco, Ikea, and Walmart, to take measures into their own hands or their own ships because they are literally chartering their own ships. But questions remain if the added expense is or will pay off. CNBC's Lorianne LaRocco has some exclusive data. Lorianne, you've been all with the story. You've literally written books on this topic, by the way, so it's good to have you on. What are the benefits of a, of a Walmart chartering its own ships because prices are already high. I mean, they seem like they might be overpaying. You know, you think they're overpaying with a price tag of $5 million, but they're not. And the reason why is, remember, not too long ago, these companies were paying in excess of twenty dollars to $25,000 for a single container, and it was stuck for weeks outshore where you have these priceless items, right, with nowhere to go. So the reason why they're charting these vessels is not only to control their supply chain, they're supplementing not only their low inventory, but they're bringing in the holiday items. And they're using their pre-existing logistics systems like IKEA using the Port of Baltimore, but more importantly, they're avoiding that Port of L.A. And so you've got the Seattle port. They are actually winning, if you will, in terms of the market share, where you've got IKEA moving some of their product to to Seattle instead of L.A. And Long Beach, their sister port, there's a great chart where they are actually taking market share away from L.A. So this is all strategy here, Brian. Yeah, in fact, I was out in San Francisco recently, Lorianne, and the the port of Oakland looked packed as well. We've heard a lot about that, you know, kind of like an airport. Hey, don't land at Newark, go to Trenton or whatever it might be. Kind of the same ideas. If we look at some of the shipping reports, the manifests, marine traffic, whatever data you want to look at, what can it tell us about Costco, Walmart and others? And, you know, asking for a friend with a seven-year-old child, will the Christmas gifts be on the shelves this year, Lorianne? You know, it depends on where they shop. Santa couldn't make. (laughs) Exactly. 
Uh, when it comes to the bills of lading, and we actually use Import Genius for Costco, they are looking at record imports. So it's a, it's a two thing. From a consumer standpoint, it's fantastic. They're going to probably have a lot of items. For an investor, this is great because you know that they actually are going to have shelves filled this year. The charters are definitely enhancing their supply chain disruption. And it also shows you the tremendous consumer demand they've been having. I mean, look at that number, Brian. 2021 far exceeds the front loading that they did in 2018 ahead of the trade war. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are, are truly incredible. All right. So let's say you're Walmart or Costco, or whatever, and you've got your own ship, but you've got a lot more goods than you have room on the ship as big as they are. Mm-hmm. What are some of the key items that they're saying, you know what, leave that on the docks, put this stuff on the boat? What are some of the key items? And I think you got the blanked out part. I I really did. When it looks at Costco, it's that Christmas tree. And we found some really great stuff here. So on their website, they currently have a seven and a half foot Christmas tree out of stock. But we learned through the bills of lading that on October 7th, containers of that very Christmas tree arrived in the port of Oakland. And that's fantastic because nobody wants a holiday item coming in late and then they have to sell it at discount. For IKEA, this is great forward-looking indicator of the consumer and what they're buying. It's countertops, it's cabinets. And then for Walmart, it's lots and lots of garments. So this really shows you where they are banking on where the consumer is going to spend their money. Truly an incredible story with, I think, a record number of ships still off the coast of Los Angeles, some of them apparently dragging anchors in all the wrong places. Lorianne LaRocco, appreciate it. Really interesting stuff. Have a great day, Lorianne. You too. All right, thanks. All right, on deck. Do you remember that piece of art that Banksy had self-shredded at the auction? You know, shocked the art world. People in nice suits and fancy eyeglasses gasped in horror as it shredded. Well, it is back on the block. Yeah, the shredded painting. And you will not believe how much someone did this time. Is this some kind of a giant global market top? I don't know, but we'll tell you the numbers coming up. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, Packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Francis Rivera with your news headlines on this Friday. Former President Bill Clinton is in a California hospital this morning. According to his spokesman, Mr. Clinton had a urological infection that developed in his sepsis. The 42nd president was taken to University of California Irvine Medical Center and remains there for observation. The spokesman says he is on the mend in good spirits and is incredibly thankful for the doctors, nurses and staff providing him with excellent care. After a trial that was delayed more than a year due to COVID, we finally know the fate of Robert Durst. The frail-looking millionaire real estate heir was sentenced in Los Angeles late yesterday to a mandatory term of life in prison without parole for the killing of close friend Susan Berman in 2000. Durst was found guilty of first-degree murder last month. Caught on body cam, an intense rescue from a fiery crash. Two police officers in Garland, Texas, ran toward a flaming car, rescuing an unconscious driver who was ejected from the 
the vehicle before making a harrowing realization. Hey, we got one more in here. We got one more. Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Give him the hand. Come on, man. Give him the hand. Get out. Give him the hand. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. I got you. Wow, those officers being hailed as heroes pulled anything they could to free the man. Both the driver and passenger are recovering from non-life-threatening injuries. Two 100-win teams battling out for a spot in the NLCS. The Giants tied things up in the sixth off the big bat of Darren Ruff, smacking it 452 feet to even the game at one. It would be a stalemate until the ninth when Cody Bellinger came up clutch, hitting in the go-ahead run with his shot to the outfield. Wilmer Flores was called out swinging in the bottom of the ninth, and the Dodgers take the series with a 2-1 win. For a Friday morning, Brian, those are your headlines. We send it back to you. Yeah, and that game pretty much ended almost this Friday morning. I tried to stay up and watch as an L.A. guy. Couldn't do it. Congrats to <laughs> Blue. And by the way, thank goodness for those police officers. Extremely brave. Mm-hmm. That car was really burning. Francis, thank you. All right, so from that to some of this morning's top trending stories, which include art, shredded art, being re-auctioned, a new Tesla beer, huh? and a new way for fans to get involved at a concert. Savannah's back with those stories. Savannah, what's trending on this Friday? I'm going to tell you what's trending, Brian. We're going to start with the shredded Banksy artwork that had originally sold for $1.4 million three years ago. Now it has just sold for 18 times that price. The piece was sold at auction for $25.4 million, setting a new record for the artist. Sotheby's had only expected the artwork to sell for $8 million. Elon Musk announcing a new Cybertruck-themed beer that will be served at Tesla's German Gigafactory. In a presentation in Berlin, Musk brought, brought up some of the amenities at the upcoming Gigafactory, including a train station on the property and the beer dubbed Giga Beer. It will come in a bottle inspired by the Cybertruck's angular shape. And Coldplay announcing an eco-friendly focus to their next world tour and that it will partly be powered by a, quote, kinetic floor that generates electricity when fans jump up and down. The band will also plant a tree for every ticket sold. And let's get a check on the tickers trending on CNBC.com right now. The 10-year Treasury, Tesla, AMC, Apple and Moderna, mostly all higher except for AMC, Brian. It's always the same five things. <laughs> I, right, it is. But Brian, you know, Coldplay, I'm so excited for that. I'm, I'm a big fan, so I'm really like excited that they're doing that. Every teardrop is a waterfall, Silvana. Oh, my gosh. I mean, every single teardrop. <laughs> good one, good one. It's all yellow. <laughs> all of it. Green and red and blue and yellow. All the colors. These are Coldplay puns. <laughs> so it's all, it's all the Coldplay. Yeah. Silvana, thank you very much. Why are so many people looking at the 10-year yield? All right. As we head back to break, a big programming note, and we mean it. On Monday, we're going to be at the Milken Global Conference in Los Angeles. Go Dodgers. And at noon Eastern on Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific, although I doubt many of you out west are watching right now, something pretty cool, something that has never, ever been done before. So it's either going to be amazing or just completely implode. A special one-hour CNBC Pro live stream with four guests. Going to give them about 15 minutes each, no breaks, Roll them in, roll them out. Guggenheim, Scott Minard on rates of the Fed. Rebecca's, or Bridgewater's Rebecca Patterson, Shri Kumar, and Teacher Retirement System of Texas CIO, Jace Albee. And I think his first ever or first in a long time CNBC interview. Get their global macro views in all parts of the market and economy. 
It is all live. It's going to be totally unscripted. Check it out today. Sign up on cnbc.com slash pro. Again, Monday, noon Eastern time. Root for us, folks. We've never done it before. So we'll, we'll find out how it goes on Monday at about 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you there. We're back right after this. Big numbers from some big banks boosting futures in a big way. Stocks come off their best day since March. Will we rally into year end? Speaking of boosting, the FDA giving the green light to the country's second COVID-19 booster vaccine. But does the data and the science show we actually need it? And Bitcoin back above 60000 briefly, as we may finally be closer to a crypto ETF. It is Friday, October 15th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's do a quick Friday hit on your money. Stock futures, they are higher. The S&P coming off a nice 1.7% gain. NASDAQ as well. Their best day since March, at least for the S&P 500, that was. Dow up as well. And futures, they look like they might continue some of that momentum. And unless we get a big change, we will end the week higher. Dow futures up 131 You know what else is higher? Because it's not just stocks. Remember, this is not just an earnings-related rally. It can't be because oil doesn't have earnings. Oil keep rising as well. Consumer demand, booming. COVID cases, they are crashing. We are seeing WTI crude, look at that, back above $82 a barrel here, almost $85 in Europe. Natural gas prices in Europe and coal, they've come down a little bit recently. But they are still sky high. They just predicted a La Nina again, which means it could be a very cold winter in Europe. That could be very bad news. Stateside, get ready for higher heating costs this winter, higher electricity costs this winter, and definitely higher gasoline prices very soon. Well, you can afford to pay all those things if you own crypto because Bitcoin is back above 60000 At least it was for a bit overnight. It is higher right now, but higher off of what? Bitcoin doesn't close, so I never know what to reference it off of. Either way, Bitcoin is at 59000 and change. Ether is down just a touch. We'll get much more on that sector in just a couple of minutes. All right, but right now, back to some key headlines that you need to know about, including more on Boeing and another potential black eye for the company. Silvana, back with those. Silvana. Brian, I'm back. Good morning. <laughs> Mark Forkner, a former chief technical pilot for Boeing, is being charged with fraud for deceiving federal regulators tasked with evaluating the flight worthiness of the company's 737 MAX jet, hindering the ability of regulators to protect airline passengers and leaving pilots in the lurch. This is all according to the Justice Department. According to the indictment, Forkner provided the FAA Aircraft Evaluation Group with materially false inaccurate and incomplete information about a new part of the flight controls for the Boeing 737 MAX called the MCAS, which led to the two 737 MAX crashes in 2018 and 2019 that left a total of 346 people dead. Sources tell CNBC that outspoken investors Jana Partners has reportedly taken a stake in Macy's and sent a letter to the company's board urging it to spin off its e-commerce business. Janice says it expects a standalone digital business would be worth a multiple of Macy's current market value, which is about $7 billion. And the SEC is reportedly set to allow the first U.S. Bitcoin futures ETF to begin trading. Unlike straightforward 
Bitcoin ETF applications, ones that the regulator has previously rejected. The proposals by ProShares and Invesco are based on futures contracts and were filed under mutual fund rules that SEC Chairman Gary Gensler has said provide, quote, significant investor protections. Brian, a pretty big move for Bitcoin there. Yes, certainly on that ETF news, we'll see. Could make a lot of people very happy. And by the way, a lot of people, a lot of money, at least the ones making the ETF. Silvana, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. You got it. All right, let's get back now to this morning's top story in science and health. An FDA advisory panel voting unanimously in favor of a Moderna booster dose for those 65 and older and other high-risk adults. Those are the same groups currently eligible for a third dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. The recommendation comes as an NIH study finds that mixing and matching vaccine boosters is indeed effective. That research will be presented to the same panel later on today as it is set to vote on booster shots for people who receive the J&J vaccine. Joining us now is Dr. Carlos Del Rio, Executive Associate Dean at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Del Rio, it's great to have you back on. Uh, Do we need the Moderna booster? Is there any data that, that suggests that we might well, Brian, we, I'm not sure we need the Moderna booster. Moderna actually has shown to be much more effective and lasting than Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson. And for that reason, you know, we are seeing some breakthroughs in Moderna. So I think the FDA was convinced by saying, well, there are some breakthroughs. We have excess vaccine. Let's go ahead and give the boosters. But the data to, to support giving boosters is not as strong as with the other situations. However, I think there was a very difficult position that the FDA advisory panel was put on since the White House has pretty much already said people are going to be getting boosters. And with the with the data that came out with the mix and match, if they didn't approve boosters for people that got Moderna, I think everybody would just be out there getting a Pfizer shot or something else. Yeah, and I appreciate your honesty and your candor here, because a lot of the data that we're getting is coming from Israel. And, and I know you've been on top, but you're the doctor. I'm, I'm a data guy. I've been throwing the data out there. There was no real Moderna in Israel, so we don't have a lot of that data as well. We know the Pfizer wears off. Is there any indication uh, that we're seeing the same kind of declination in efficacy among Moderna? There is a little bit of data to suggest that. There's actually a a study from Kaiser Permanente that, uh, that showed very clearly a decreasing protection with all three vaccines. Less so with Moderna than with Pfizer or Johnson and Johnson, but clearly there's a decrease in protection over time with all three vaccines. Yeah, and the idea being is there's still a, a huge number of people, particularly in emerging markets worldwide, that are not vaccinated. Last time I checked, doctor, this was a global pandemic, meaning we could get new strains and variants in other parts of the world that ultimately make themselves here. Is a better use of this excess vaccination or vaccine? sending it to parts of the world where a lot of people, hundreds of millions or maybe more than a billion, still don't even have one shot. I think we can do both, Brian. I think we we really need to ramp up production globally and really need to ramp up not only production, but actually distribution and supply chains. Because again, getting vaccines to the docks in countries is not enough. You've got to get it into people's arms. So vaccinating the world still is a big challenge that we haven't taken. And you're absolutely right. As long as there's a pandemic anywhere, We need to be concerned here in the United States. But the other challenge is obviously that there's still about 70 to 75 million Americans that yet to be vaccinated. And I think the combination of not having people vaccinated locally and globally still concerns me. And even though people are starting to act like the pandemic is over, I want to be real clear. This is far from over. 
Yeah, and let me ask you about that. I know seasonality, doctor, is a terrible world and a word in the scientific community as well, but it certainly it does seem like we're following some seasonal patterns. You guys in the South got hit hard, easing off now. Weather's been beautiful here in the Northeast. There are still 1.5 million unvaccinated but eligible people in New York City alone, more than the unvaccinated population of some smaller states, all in a, in a small area, Bronx, Brooklyn, New York. Do you think that we will get kind of a last gasp fall or winter pop or surge? Or do you think because of prior infection, which New York got hit hard in the beginning, we might actually be over this damn thing? Well, you know, I think uh, the latter is hopefully what's going to happen. I think we're all counting on that. But the reality is predicting this virus has been incredibly difficult. And I think it all is going to depend on two things, human behavior and what happens with strains uh, and new strains and the emergence of new strains. If you have a new strain to which there's not a lot of immunity and we're pretty much all naive, there may be another surge during this winter when people go indoors, when people are, you know, in crowded conditions. But the reality is, as I said, predicting this virus has proven to be incredibly difficult. And to me, it's still too early to call victory. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to call victory as well, but the data certainly uh, you know, looks good. There are fewer people in a hospital in New York City now than at any time since the pandemic began for COVID-19. I'm going to knock on wood, doctor, and hope that continues. Dr. Carlos Del Rio of Emory, really appreciate your views and your insight, doctor. As always, have a great day and a good weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, let's hope those trends certainly continue. All right on deck. It is tax flight day. As millions of high-income earners who fled the Northeast try to get a leg up on the IRS, we'll explain the first. As we had to break some of the other top stories on this Friday morning, one of Australia's largest pension funds says it may make small investments in crypto. Speaking with the Financial Times, the Queensland Investment Corporation, which manages about $70 billion, says it will take the digital crypto space seriously despite regulatory uncertainty. Shares of Alcoa popping after the aluminum producer's third quarter results topping expectations. On the top and bottom lines, the company also approving its first dividend ever be paid on on November 19th. By the way, Alcoa stock is just crushed it. And this is not good news. The head of Hisense, one of China's biggest TV and appliance makers, says the global chip shortage could last another two to three years. Ouch. Dow Futures, not an ouch. Up 126. We're back up to this. All right, welcome back. For many of you high earners out there, today may be the real tax day because many are fleeing high tax states like New York or New Jersey. And if you are, today is the day to try to claim a new tax residency. And many of you out there may be going to great lengths to do so. Robert Frank joining us. Now, Robert, it's all about the 51%, right? I mean, like, Mark, every minute, where were you of every day of every year? Well, and Brian, that is just the start because many taxpayers who have not commuted to work or have lived in a different state for over a year are now trying to change their tax residency. But the so-called 183-day rule, that's what you mentioned, that's being away for over half a year, does not exempt you from taxes. State tax authorities, especially in New York, California and New Jersey are cracking down on that. Accountants say many of their clients are already getting audit notices if they tried changing their tax status. 
So what are the rules? Well, there are two categories of taxpayers. The first of non-state tax residents who used to commute are now trying to claim exemption from earned income. But no matter where you moved, if your former office is in, say, New York State, you still have to pay New York taxes, even if you didn't even go there for a year and a half. Some states may even add on their own income taxes, so you get double tax. Now, the other category is state residents who are trying to change their entire tax residency, say from New York to Florida. They have to prove, in addition to the 183 days, a new domicile. That means severing all your ties with the former state, so selling your house or apartment, moving your dogs, your dentist, your kids' schools, your charities, all the office. You have to move all of that to a new state. Those who try to skip out, even for a year or two and then try to return, will also get caught. New York has up to three years just to inform you if they are doing an audit. So you may not even know you're being audited until 2024. So if you tried to, let's say, skip out for tax year 20 and 21 and then come back in 22 or 23, they will find you and catch you. Brian? Three years of just waiting it all. I mean, what if you don't have a dog? What if you don't need to go to the doctor? I mean, there are ways to make this harder. Not that I'm encouraging them, by the way. Uh, I pay all my fair share of taxes and more. Uh, are there ways uh, that, that the rich are really fighting this? It's not like I got a new vet, you know. Here's proof. My dog got rabies shots. The problem, Brian, is many of the wealthy, even well-informed and well-advised wealthy, think, as you mentioned at the top, that as long as you have a location app that has you out of that state for 183 days, you're fine. And, And even people that have accountants, for some reason are now submitting taxes as if they lived in a different state. They've been out of, out of their office, often out of their state, for over a year and a half. And the, that's just the beginning. You have to do all these things, including probably selling your house or apartment and, and proving that you never plan to go back to do that. And so th- there's really no easy way out. And that's yeah. why New York State is already sending letters out. But it might be worth the risk for many people. Not that I'm saying cheat the IRS, but I'm saying if you make five million bucks a year and you can go from, say, nine percent effective state income tax rate in New Jersey and New York to zero in Nashville or Naples, Florida, you're saving a couple hundred grand a year. Might be worth it to put the money into an investment. Hope you're audited down the road. And if you are not hope, but if you are audited, you've got the money to pay back. Don't spend it, but just let it sit there or invest that money. Not not that I would do that. Yeah, there's a huge value. Yeah, there's a huge value in deferred taxes. That's effectively what you'd be doing, especially if you gain on that investment. And maybe that's the bet that many of the wealthy are making in doing this. Well, you might have to pay that deferred. You might have to pay the penalties on the interest as well. It's not just about paying back what you owe. The IRS can make you pay back what you owe. Right. Plus a little government vig, as we'll say. Robert Frank, really interesting story. Robert, I'll see you in Palm Beach. Take care. All right. Your morning RBI is up next, and what may be the next big risk to the jobs market, a story you're not hearing enough about, but you will hear. Plus, an update to Wells Fargo's 10 risks to fade, follow, or fear with Daryl Crump. And it's Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we are spotlighting business leaders, Wells, our anchors, reporters, contributors, colleagues, and friends. And here's our our friend, halftime supervising producer Patty Martell. I'm a first-generation Mexican-American. 
My parents taught me to work hard and do a good job, but in the competitive corporate world, you need more than just hard work. You need to form your own personal committee of mentors, sponsors, and coaches that will help you navigate the playing field, check your blind spot, and position you for the next step because nobody got ahead all by themselves. Well, today's RBI is about the job market and the lack of workers. Now, we've been doing a special on it all week here on CNBC, and why not? It's a huge and hugely complex story that affects millions of families and the overall economy. But there is another big job story that is just starting to bubble up and maybe not getting the attention it deserves, at least until now. And that is the threat of strikes, labor walkouts, something we've not seen much in years. But now that is changing because workers are not only burned out, they're also fed up. And they're demanding changed. We are seeing labor walkouts or threats of walkouts at different industries across America. John Deere workers, for example, on strike for the first time in 35 years. 24,000 nurses and healthcare workers may go on strike at Kaiser Permanente if they don't get the income increases they're asking for. If they do, they would join thousands of other critical hospital workers in states like New York and Massachusetts who have already walked off the job. Workers at cereal maker Kellogg's and even the theaters union also walking out. And you're hearing more about other companies' workers thinking about the same thing. And some big political names are getting into the fray. Look at these tweets by Bernie Sanders and former Labor Secretary Robert Reich. Bernie Sanders coming out and tweeting, Kellogg's made record-breaking profits. CEO makes $12 million a year. Is enough is enough. Workers who stand to benefit from their products. And you got Robert Reich's tweet as well, kind of along the same lines. Reich's tweet, quote, said more than 10,000 John Deere workers just went on strike after rejecting their latest offer. The workers are agitating to win back benefits they lost in the 90s, as well as higher wages. This is what a powerful labor movement looks like, folks. And they may have a point. Billionaires have gotten more billionaire and many folks who couldn't work from home are just totally burned out and cooked. But whatever you think about it, on either side, it could matter to markets, inflation, and the Fed. Because if the Fed believes that wage gains for these workers will be transitory, maybe the Fed heads need to go work in a hospital or a factory for a day. The labor unrest to come. Random, but important. All right. Back in July, your next guest brought out the 10 risks to fade, follow, or fear. Topping that was inflation, followed by COVID, and then the debt ceiling. So Let's welcome him back and find out how he'd answer. Now, Daryl Cronk is the CIO for Wealth and Investment Management at Wells Fargo. Daryl, welcome back. Um, you had inflation in July. We did our wall of inflation yesterday, and it was even worse. I got to imagine that uh, it's, it's still got to be number one with a bullet. Yeah, it is. Good morning, Brian. I mean, it is. It begins every question um, and ends every sentence in conversations with clients these days. Um, and in fact, it's morphed into the stagflation conversation, um, which I we think is a little bit overblown at this point. Um, frankly, you know, for stagflation, you need high and persistent inflation, as you know. You need high unemployment, which at 4.8 percent probably is higher than pre-pandemic, but not terribly high. And most importantly, you need stagnant or declining demand. And demand is not a problem for this economy. Uh, in fact. Demand is what is part of what's agitating and aggravating the supply chain issues. So we think um, you, you, you have sticky inflation, persistent inflation, you know, put whatever descriptor you want on it, but it's here to stay for a while. 
So far, it hasn't tipped the capital markets over, though. I mean, we're, you know, if you close the year down right now, you'd have the S&P 500 up almost 20% for the third consecutive calendar year in a row. Somebody asked me, not that anybody cares what I think, but they asked me anyway what I thought was the greatest market risk. It was at the Market Rebellion Conference in Vegas. And I just said, I, I think the great, and I held a poll of the audience. The greatest market risk to me is that about 40% of financial advisors or money managers have never managed money in a rising rate or inflationary environment. I mean, we haven't had one in 15 plus years. So if you got out of college, you know, you're 37, 38, you've never managed money or invested in a rising rate or inflationary market. It's a different beast. It is a different beast. You're exactly right, Brian. I think that's an excellent point. It's been made as we've talked about kind of these fits and starts with interest rates going up over the years many times. The reality is, though, I think what people get hung up on is what should I do with my portfolio? If you go back and time test this into high or sustained inflationary environments or even stagflation environments, although we don't have many time slices to take on that, it's interesting because the same assets do well in that type of environment. It's things like real assets, it's real estate, it's commodities. Actually, volatility does really well and cash does really well. What doesn't do well? Uh, naturally, bonds don't do well. Um, credit doesn't do quite as well, right? And even equities yeah. kind of, well, positive returns, they languish a little bit in that type of environment. So, you know, we just talked about Alcoa. Numbers were, were solid. Stocks up like, I think, three or 400% this year. So what do we do? Do we buy industrial companies that make stuff? real estate investment trusts and, and keep the rest in cash? <laughs> well, no, I would say we definitely uh, put a lean on to cyclicals. It's interesting if you look at S&P cyclicals versus defensives, they're back to year highs now. So you remember through the summer months when the cyclical trade fell out of bed um, and it was not performing well at all as growth took over, as bond proxies took over. Now, what's happened is cyclical has reasserted itself on this idea of rising rates. I think one of the biggest risks to your earlier point in question is the bond market still hasn't priced in sustained inflation. And it, you know everybody worries about a Fed taper you know, and, and rising rates. What happens when the bond market wakes up some morning and decides, hey, inflation is here to stay for a while and we need to price in a, uh, an inflation term premium to the yield curve? Well, what happens? If that happens. <laughs> well, if that happens, you're going to have the whole curve shift higher and you're going to have it continue to steepen, which actually does really well for things like financials, which we're right in the heart of seeing the big bank earnings seasons. You can imagine that would just light their fire. It does well for asset managers. Um, so there's sectors that really work and areas of the portfolio that really work on the equity side when you get a rising and steepening yield curve. Yeah. Listen, it's a big shift, and it could be there, and uh, we've got your, your 10 risks to fade, follow, or fear. It's all about inflation. Daryl Kronk of Wells Fargo. Appreciate it, Daryl. Have a great day and a good weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. And as, uh, you're welcome. And as always, folks, thanks for watching Worldwide Exchange. Next week, I'll be live at the Milken Institute Global Conference, bringing you big interviews Monday and Tuesday, some right here for this show as well. And be sure to sign up for the CNBC Pro live stream, one-hour special, four guests, noon Eastern on Monday. It's going to be a biggie. Never done it before. I'm looking forward to it. I'll see you next week. Have a spectacular weekend. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.